0: Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSPMag24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HitrustAlliance.net. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Marco.
1: Sean.
2: How's that uh, job hunting going?
1: Um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's an industry that is constantly changing and just cannot, seems to find the entrance—they keep moving it. You know, one time, they told me I needed to have a technical background, computer background, and you know, there's many different entrances. It's kind of like Easter eggs hunt here. <laughs>
2: that's right. The doors—doors the the doors are moving as you're as you're chasing them, and that's one perspective, right? The other perspective is you're on the other side of the door and you can't figure out why nobody's knocking. <laughs> yeah. and, if, and if they like, do, they don't meet the uh, 10 years experience with the technology that hasn't existed
1: for it. 10 years. I'm picturing Harry Potter and Hogwarts <laughs> where all the this, this stairs moves inside and that's you right. just don't know a door is there, then it's not there anymore. And, uh, you know, this is, this is an interesting conversation that we, we had many times in the past. Um, it's not the uh-huh. first one. Well, it's a persistent
2: but, problem. That's the, that's but,
1: the, yeah, exactly. It's because the problem is still there uh it's uh it's about the human element in a technology driven field and maybe now the question is is it really technology driving itself or it's it's humans that are doing that so how, how do you match the two things and how can you have the the doors align? I think that's, right. that's what I want to learn today. What's that's the secret? Right.
3: We, we we
2: want to align the the candidates with the the hiring managers and and the the broader spectrum on both sides of that. And one of our guests we've actually had on before. We we talked with him. Uh, Scott Olson is his name, and he's on the show again. Scott, good to join. Good to have you join us. Uh, we we briefly spoke about uh, challenges in leadership and. Uh, changing the behavior, right? And uh, embracing change and uh, being fascinated by what you're trying to accomplish. And I think some of that will probably come through here. Um, But you have brought somebody with you, a co-author of a new book that uh, you've written together. And I'm going to take a moment to pass the ball to you to say a few words about yourself, for those who didn't have a chance to listen to that uh, Be Fascinated episode that we did, Scott. Um, and then if you could please hand the mic over to Lisa so we can learn more about Lisa and then we'll dig in.
3: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it, it's great to be back with uh, with you, Sean, and with you, Marco, um, uh, and uh, to talk about uh, another sort of facet of the the Team Jam the last time we were talking about um, you know, how to inspire and how to lead. And this time we're really talking about the importance of, of what that team dynamic is and and why it exists. And, you know, Marco really going to the, you know, what's, what's the interface between the technology and the, and the operator, you know, you got to have a good car, but you also have to have a good driver. So my background is 45 years observing people in consequential environments. Uh, I spent half of that time, uh, uh, with the FBI as a counterintelligence spy chaser. I, I lived um, in the Middle East for a number of years towards the end of my career. Um, started off as a, as a trial attorney, and um, younger than that, uh, the consequential environment that I started in was uh, in the mountains as a climbing guide. So I come to this, I come to Can Trust Will, hiring for the human element in the new age of cybersecurity from a, a team building. How do you understand who do you need on the team? How do you find that person effectively? And then once you have those individuals, how do you take a number of individuals and integrate them into one unit and then inspire that unit in this case to protect systems? Um, and I think a lot of that really begins with understanding that your adversary isn't the ones and zeros, it isn't the device, it's the operator on the other end of that. Um, and the, the the bad guys are working in teams, so the good guys need to work in teams. And that's a lot of the reason why I I partnered with Lisa. And I'm thrilled to introduce you guys to, to Lisa Garber, who's an adjunct professor um, at, the, at Klein School of Law, um, and really, really smart and extraordinarily capable in the cybersecurity space and in the legal space. And I'll just hand it over to Lisa to... Uh, um, give us more on her background and her optic of both the partnership and the can trust will process. Lisa? It's
4: it's so hard to follow Scott after he introduces himself every time. It doesn't get easier. But thank you very much. I am also thrilled to be on today. As Scott mentioned, I am a cybersecurity and privacy lawyer and consultant. I am an adjunct law professor at Drexel's Klein School of Law. I also lecture at the Wharton School at UPenn, where I teach Internet Law, and at Drexel I focus on information privacy. In addition to that, I'm a on-air persona, not on uh, television, as well, where I'm an expert on cybersecurity and privacy and social media and all of those fun things. So, when I first met Scott almost three years ago now. And I saw his background and the potential there to engage with what I've seen happen in the cybersecurity industry. I thought, man, this is a perfect way to attack the problem of cybersecurity hiring because we've all seen the scary statistics and they change a little bit every day, but you know, three and a half million unfilled jobs in cybersecurity, the workforce gap remains huge. And Sean mentioned this just before we went on air, but jobs are requesting 10 years of experience in a certain type of technology that hasn't existed for 10 years. And we keep hearing these same problems from people in the know about cybersecurity and IT. And then we also hear problems phrased a little bit differently from other members of the c-suite that don't really understand cybersecurity, but know hey it's a budget line item i'm not sure how significant it is but i keep hearing about it so i better do something about it so i think and i truly believe scott and i came together on this book to really try to solve this problem in a better fashion
1: all right because i'm excited because uh you know by now, this problem should be solved, but uh, I think again is <laughs> a moving target. Yeah, so, you just throw money at it; it solves the problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes is the answer is you resolve the technology problem with more technology, and and I think maybe it's the same case. You resolve a human problem with more humanity. I don't know. I'm just gonna guess that. What I'm curious to start here is with the the three. Uh, You know, the three words that you start the book with can, trust, and will. Um, I'm sure you're going to explain this as we go, but can you? I I just need to know right away. Give me a teaser on that. Why can, trust, and will?
4: I I want Scott to answer that, although I will say, when we were discussing this portion of the book, when we got there and it was about halfway through after doing interviews and analyzing and research, Scott used these words over and over again. I said, yeah, that's it. That's our method. So Scott.
1: <laughs> so tell us about it. Yeah. So
3: it's, it's, it's really the struggle of how, um, you know, everybody, whether it's the, the C-suite or, you know, uh, somebody who is, um, um, you know, an event log monitor, everybody knows what everybody knows where we want to get to. But, but the, the hard thing is, is how, how do you find the people you actually need? And so what we struggled with was articulating what's the system when you have a hiring manager, who is so frustrated because they've, they've hired a good person and the person hasn't worked out. They hire another good person. And the person has, what they want to know is, you know, how do I, how do I find the right person? The person that's wants to be in this industry wants to know, uh, okay, how, how do I do that? Do I get a four-year degree? Do I get a two-year degree? Do I get a, a certificate? Do I, um, you know, just start hacking into stuff and teaching myself? How do you do this? And Our answer is you have to have a system. It's not about looking for a person. It is about creating pools of candidates and filtering them properly so that at the end, when you're doing the very difficult work, which is determining whether the person that's sitting across from you in that final interview will actually do the things that you need them to do, particularly when it's difficult. Um, You you're not wasting your time and energy by just interviewing everybody. And so can trust will is the structure. What a person can do is binary. They can code in COBOL or they cannot. They can sit for 12 hours uh, and and read event logs or they cannot. They can effectively uh, penetration test a system or they cannot. That piece is binary. And even if the technology is complex, it's actually pretty easy to test somebody and figure out whether they can do it. The next filter is trust. A lot of people put due diligence at the end. <clears throat> and we think that due diligence goes in the middle because what really matters, and that's the trust piece, what really matters is what a person actually will do. And to answer your, your uh, initial question Marco the big challenge particularly in the tech world is actually a misapprehension or a misunderstanding of what correlates to success we're still struggling with people who think if I only have the right certifications I'll be good or the hiring manager who thinks if I just have the right skill set and the right number of years of experience that correlates to uh, a good employee and and the reality of it is it doesn't um and so it's very important we think to distinguish between what a can a person can do and what they will do and to recognize that a person can be trained for can but probably can't be trained for will and the really interesting thing and i'll i'll give you this and then um this this last story and then uh, hand over to lisa we find that if you look in non-technical markets, hiring managers in very basic, very simple industries actually get this right. If you go into any warehouse in the, in the world, and I don't necessarily mean an Amazon warehouse, but any warehouse, the person who's running that warehouse probably needs to hire forklift operators. And most people whose job it is to hire forklift operators do not ask candidates if they know how to drive a forklift, they ask them if they'll show up on time because they know that they can teach almost anybody, some exceptions, they can teach almost anybody to drive a forklift, but what they know they really need is a person who will show up on time. So they're hiring forklift operators, but they're looking for people who will show up on time. And in the cyber world, we're looking for forklift operators. We're not looking for people who will show up on time. And then we wonder why we don't have a correlation to success. And what we do in the book, and this is partially it's chapter two, but, but part of it is actually in chapter seven is we're looking at specific behavioral characteristics, things people will do when the chips are down that correlate to success. You want a, a pen tester or somebody who's sitting in your operation center to really function at a high level when the power goes out and the whole thing is burning down. Um, and you can know that. That's the will. Whether they can operate the devices in your GSOC, that's the can. You can train that. Lisa, fill in my gaps. What did I miss?
4: Sure. So <laughs> some of these problems that Scott mentioned and that we discussed in, in large part in the book, I mean, really common pitfalls in hiring, the idea of fit if somebody's a quote unquote great addition to the team, or you take a chance on someone because they seem like a superstar, these are all problems that are inherent to hiring for any field. And really, can trust will is something you could apply to all different kinds of fields. But in this book, we focus on cybersecurity and we really contextualize the process in. From my perspective, the laws and the regulatory landscape surrounding cybersecurity, which is also, we talked about moving doors as you're trying to chase them. I mean, the patchwork of cybersecurity and privacy laws is something that there's, even though we keep seeing Senate proposals to change it and have one federal unified standard, just like the GDPR in the EU, that hasn't happened yet. We, we contextualize it in understanding the basics and what kinds of careers there are out there, what kinds of certifications and academic degrees and real life experience that apply, obligations and budgets. So in that way, we contextualize it for the cybersecurity and privacy world. But really this proprietary hiring model focuses on how you describe the person that you need in cybersecurity, because most of the jobs in cyber can be high stress. And many of them, as Scott said, you can be trained, and if you can be trained in it, and you look at what you actually will do, what that person will do. So it's not framing it as, gosh, I like this person I interviewed, they seem like a really great fit to me, but it's actually a much more scientific process to finding who you need. And the first step is figuring out, well, where, what are the holes in my system? What are the vulnerabilities? What are my obligations? And from there, we jump into this process.
2: I love it. And, and and Scott, I want to go to you to, here uh, based on your experience in life, um, being a, a guide for climbing. There's what they will do. And I'm wondering if there's an element of what they have the will to do in this as well. And the reason I bring that up is I know there's this, there's this mentality uh, of being a hero in cybersecurity. Mm. And having a passion and a desire to do something good with their efforts uh, as a cybersecurity professional. Does that, because what you're describing is a kind of a scientific model, but there's still the human in there. And I'm wondering if the will, not to take away from will do, but is there some of the will in some of this that, that has to come into play?
3: I, I think so. And and that's a wonderful way to, to describe it and to, and to, Dig deeper into the the concept, and I, I, th- I think you're right to look at this as a as a more deeply layered system. Um, so in in the climbing world, um, we always recognized we always wanted to test skills. Can you tie the knots? Can you um, can you manipulate the gear? But we always knew that there was a difference between somebody who could tie the knot under the sun in base camp. Um, versus the person who actually would go across hundred yards of, of steep icy glacier and tie that knot with one hand in driving wind when they when they had a strained knee and it hurt. And that's when I'm that's what you're shaking loose in my brain when you talk about the will. It's not it's not just can you operate? your workstation in the g-sock will you do it when things are going bad when it's stressful and do you really want to do the good job that your company needs and it's 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 the leadership thing in in some ways it's choosing to do what the company needs instead of what you need as a fundamental part of your own self-worth and and we're getting back to, how do you value your contribution to the to the outcome? And looking for people who some jobs require that lone wolf, I can come in and fix this because nobody else can, and I want to do that. Sometimes we need somebody who understands the only way this works is if I play my particular role on this team, and I don't try and take the ball from the back of the field and score. Because we're not effective that way, um, so the will, the drive to succeed in a very specific, greater than me goal outcome, it is a huge part of this. And I think that the challenge is that as we as we talk to people, uh, certainly in the in the cybersecurity world, but even in just the the general HR space, a lot of people really think, well, you can't possibly know that until you see somebody at work. And and our response is, and and this comes from really my expertise as an interview and interrogation instructor, um, as someone who's certified in the CIA deception detection system and understanding how people function. If you know what you're looking for, if you know that you need somebody who values making a contribution in the team, and you know that that behavior characteristic Correlates to success in this job because you've looked at who's been in that job, you've looked at who has succeeded and who's failed, and you've identified that behavior. If you then do a behavioral interview and you ask the correct question sets and you're asking that person about how they've done that previously in their life, you actually can know before you hire is it complicated? Yes. Is it difficult? Sure. But it is much less complicated and much less difficult and much less expensive than what Lisa said, which is, let's take a risk and see if this guy works out. Um, So it's not a perfect hiring system, but it is much, much better um, because it gives you a much more structured way to determine what you need. uh, And it reduces your turnover. It reduces all the negative things. Does Does that get you where you wanted to be with the with your question, I mean, you really got my brain spinning, and <laughs> I end up saying a lot of words.
2: That, that was my goal, and I, I want to hear Lisa's perspective on this. Yeah, thing.
4: yeah. I couldn't. You just listen to Scott chat about this all day. I mean, it's really fascinating the experiences that he pulled from, and what I was thinking about as he was talking about this process again, and we've talked about it so many times. Are the about 25 people that we interviewed for the book. And what's so exciting is you get to read their first-person thoughts experiences about the idea of cybersecurity hiring. We talked to CIOs, CISOs, we talk to techies, we talked to people in academia, and really all different walks of life, all genders, all races. And The idea that kept coming up too that Scott touched on is the idea of shared intention in corporate cybersecurity culture. And that's really something that so many of the leaders in the space try to build and we get different ideas on how to do that successfully. Many of them great, great avenues to consider. And what Scott was talking about in terms of behavioral analysis being vital to cybersecurity hiring, is that there has to be this buy-in to the idea of then shared intention. And for me, as a lawyer thinking about this, especially in cybersecurity and privacy law, it's still a hard sell. I mean, when you come down to it, cybersecurity, even as a budget line item for major Fortune 500 corporations, can still be a hard sell. So in practical terms, you have to talk about, okay, it's not just actually hiring somebody but it's figuring out what do we really need and that might look different to different companies and government entities depending on what that what you're looking for in your size so that could be hiring and building out a 40 person team it could be hiring a couple different vendors either way you have to go through a great hiring system because otherwise you're just blowing money And to understand the budget thought process really ties into the corporate cybersecurity culture and the people that we spoke with, including many former government officials that moved into the private sector, many other C-suiters that were techies and moved up, they talk about how they create corporate cybersecurity culture successfully. And that means educating people as well. And that means understanding how to talk with people about some of these very complex topics. Because as we all know, the tech behind it is complicated, but really the human piece of it doesn't have to be if we manage it right. And what we hope to do with this book, what we've hoped to do, and the feedback that we've gotten that we have done successfully, is to give this foundational knowledge base and skill set to allow people to move on to put this process in place so that they can successfully do it over and over again. Because cybersecurity is a dynamic field, the laws are constantly changing, the threats are constantly changing. So to be able to have a constant in terms of the process to fit the people in is really the only way to succeed.
1: All right, so... um... I'm trying so, to decide. There's any
2: questions in my head from that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm going to stick with the one that came to my mind, and, and it's all connected. But when uh, when Scott was speaking, and, and Lisa, you always say he's so good, he's so fascinating, and you, you just can l- listen to him for a long time. He's a human. He's expressing I think something he really believes in, and I'm connecting also with the motivation from the other conversation that we had, like you really like being a leader, you need to be emotionally involved into that. And and so I'm here, I'm like, I love it, because I I don't think humans can be replaced by technology as much as I love technology. I love artificial intelligence, algorithm, where it can bring us. But every time that we talk about the hiring system and there is involved a process of automation and many people's like, you're just cutting out so many good people just by crossing somebody because it didn't answer to that question in the right way. You're trying to find the perfect person and you don't know really who is the perfect person until you talk to them in person. So I'm wondering when you present this to the, the HR department that is trying to cut corners and you're requiring to use a more, I mean, how, how do you know if somebody really passionate about something unless you're, you're also passionate about what you do? Um, how, how do you accommodate this in an environment that is looking for the shortcut I hiring. would
4: I would love to take a first shot at that question yeah, Marco please. because Scott and I had the opportunity to speak with a quote unquote startup the other day that's come up with a fantastic way to measure some of the hard skill sets for cybersecurity and in doing that they really open up the talent pool so people that may not have a long resume people that maybe didn't major in comp sci or technically know a lot of the things behind the different certifications in the field, but have been hacking away in their basement uh, while they were working a part-time job at a coffee shop, whatever it may be. They've found a way to measure those different talents and those different skills. And so I think part of this is, yeah, if you're trying to cut corners, obviously cutting corners is never the right way to do it. But the talent pool in the end, for cybersecurity is much larger than we make it out to be. We have to be open to looking at people coming from all different kinds of backgrounds. That's one of the major theories of the book, which is you need to diversify. And it's not just how we typically think about diversity, but where we hire from. So whether that looks like somebody who comes from academia with that pristine resume, or somebody that's been hacking and does it for fun and is really fantastic at it and learned on their own. So I think that's part of your question, if you're looking to quote unquote, save money when you're hiring, look in different places than you normally would because that's a way to find great candidates. But then when you're talking about the human element versus tech, I also love technology. But I remember one of my earliest news clips was going on talking about the scandal when people realized that Amazon's Echo was recording them when they didn't realize it because it was using a trigger word anything that sounded similar to Alexa to start recording. And what's the problem there? Well, the AI behind that system is programmed by a human being, and it has to keep getting better. It has to keep fine tuning. So behind whatever technology we have, there's constantly that human element. So no AI or ML is ever going to take the place of of the human element. And we have to understand that, especially in a tech-driven field. And that's one of the points I think that's so hard to explain to people hiring in this field that know it, that may be techies, because they might want somebody that operates kind of like a machine, but we need people that are creative, that hunt for solutions, that are passionate and excited. And those aren't necessarily qualities you find in tech, right? Those are completely human elements.
2: Nope. And I'm going to go here, and I don't, I don't know if it's covered in the book or not, um... But I don't care, and I may put you on the spot, and I don't care. <laughs> um, when when we're looking when we're looking at technology and building out a team to build the the next whiz bang application, most organizations, maybe not most, a lot of organizations certainly would go through the build by partner process and try to figure out this is something we're uh, capable of doing we can staff it properly we can continue to resource it we can maintain it support the customer whatever all that stuff right we know we have we know the technology inside out to make this possible we have the sales team to sell it we have all that are we doing that at all looking at security teams and security team staffing and uh, do, is that maybe one of the first questions we ask when we're looking at the hiring process? Is this something we really should be staffing internally or is it out of our scope? Is it out of our wheelhouse? And we should actually try to find somebody who can, we, we want to outsource the, the, the uh, forklift trucks uh, to a union that can do that for us because we just don't have the time and, and the wherewithal to make that happen. Thoughts?
3: Yeah, so I, I think... Both of those things to succeed, whether you're going in house or to a vendor. Uh, if you're going in house, you know only in the the IT world, or you're going in house across the board. the 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 thing that creates the problem is really the first thing that the hiring manager doesn't do, and What what most hiring managers that are frustrated don't do is they don't correlate between what they think they want in the job description and what they actually need on their team. Even if they're hiring one person, there is a huge presumption, particularly in the IT world, um, but to a certain extent across all hiring, that... If if you have these certifications, if you have a college, a four-year college degree, if you if you have these things on your resume, then you will succeed. It it's not even the way it was maybe 40 years ago, where if if you if you have these things, that's the first cut. You know, we we think people who have these things are generally better than people who don't, but we're gonna filter again. We've gotten to the point where we think, oh, if you have this certification, you will do good in the job. Uh, and what the industry needs to recognize, both from the standpoint of the hiring employer side and from the candidate side, is that there is so much more than just being able to operate the machinery, just, just being able to um, you know, have a good car. And I'll use a sports metaphor, a person that can jump into a Formula One car and drive it well can probably not, I saw your thumbs up there, yeah. So can probably not jump into an off-road racer and beat the best off-road racers in the world. It, well why not? A car's a car, four wheels, stick shift, pedals, you're you're driving. It's a different mindset. It's a different set of instincts. It's a different set of behaviors. And so when you're looking at who you need and this is actually the first thing that we want to discuss with with clients is rather than describing the job let's start by describing the person you need not just can they operate this device or that device you need that can but when it's bad what do you need them actually to do do you need them to scream and yell if you need them to scream and yell bad behavior then that's who you should look for if that's who you need. If you need them to be dead calm and, and quiet, then you need to look for that. But the key is you need to understand what you need that person actually to do when it's bad. And most of the time when you're talking to hiring managers who are frustrated, they're at their wits end and they just want somebody good. Chapter four, we call the big mistake, because the big mistake in hiring is to hire somebody good, Um, because when you're hiring somebody good, you're basically hiring somebody that makes you feel comfortable, which means you're hiring somebody that is like you, which does two things. It makes sure that you have no diversity, no diversity of thought, no diversity of approach, and no diversity of people. And it also means that you're going to get groupthink, because everybody's going to be the same, they're going to think the same, and they're going to go, here's the answer. And it, it's not going to be the best answer. Um, so it really starts with, look at the history of this job, whether somebody has had this job before, whether you've had vendors in it before, whether you've had somebody dual-hatted or, or triple-hatted into it, and identify what in this role caused a person to succeed what caused them to fail you already have the data you just need to look at it and when you parse out what's what's a fail and what's a success you can bifurcate failure into failure coachable and failure non-coachable you can teach some stuff there's some stuff you can't teach now all of a sudden you're not trying to fill a job now you're looking for a person and that's the the critical difference is to stop trying to fill jobs and to start looking for people and to start running them through these specific filters so that when you get down to that conversation, the behavioral interview, you know that you're just looking for will. You're looking for those very precise things that are going to make them a good custom fit for your team. Did, did, did that get you there?
1: Yeah. Well, it makes me also think as we as we wrap about the definition of trust, and how, while you can look at the past of someone who's been doing something, you don't have a guarantee. It is not, you know, um, a scientific formula or or a scientific research. We're, we're human, so who who knows if that person has done that thing many times in that o- occasion? Can you trust it in the future? You're not. You're not going to know. I mean, in my opinion, you have to get a gamble. I mean, you can do all you can, but you gotta go with your guts. So, how, how do you measure trust on a on a scale, right? I mean, it, do you have an answer for that in in the in the book? Because for me, it's the big it's the big question. You can promise what you want, but then how do I know?
3: Yeah, we we do, and I don't know, uh, Lisa. Do you want to take a shot at this one, or do you want to fill in what I screw up?
4: <laughs> no, I think you're better You're better with trust because I know you have the background and screening for those things what i What I will say is a lot of it stems I mean, you can do all the checks. There is a scientific process for trying to uncover trust, which Scott will get into. In detail, But I think part of it is also going back to the idea of what kind of cybersecurity culture you want to create within your company, whether that's the people that you have internally or people that you outsource because you still have to have the same thing. That's a big takeaway, too, is even if you're just outsourcing this to a vendor, you have to know that vendor and that vendor has to know your business. There's an element of trust there. That might be even larger when it's a vendor that it's outsourced. But I'll let Scott take away the trust piece.
3: Yeah. So um, trust by itself is layered. One size does not fit all, and the the reason is that it it starts with access. Um, and again, the the person that works in your warehouse has the ability to, you know, to to steal or to you know show up late and make your logistics for that day messy and expensive. But their ability to um, damage the organization is fundamentally different than your CISO, whether your CISO is a dishonest or whether your CISO panics when, uh, when the heat turns up. And so when you're looking at trust, it's important to make a value judgment about for this role, what is our level of initial due diligence it, and that decision we think needs to uh, be in direct correlation to what's the what's the potential impact. So, if you're if you're hiring somebody who's a um, an event log monitor, um, maybe you're going to do basic criminal records checks, a a due diligence package. If you're a large company, maybe your HR folks can do that. If you're a smaller company, there are great companies out there that can give you a a variety of, you know, what's this person done in the past? Do they lie, cheat, and steal, or do they not? Obviously, fundamentally, you want people who are honest and not people who are dishonest. Um, On the other end of the spectrum, on this sliding scale, as you get into more and more important jobs, you can do more and more sophisticated, but correspondingly more and more um, expensive uh, reviews. So the government does this all the time, right? Background view for a, a top secret security clearance, they go to the neighborhoods where you've lived in the last 10 years, and they interview, you know, three or four people to find out who knows you and what is this person like. So Criminal records checks. We're, we're going to go talk to your neighbors. That's uh, a, a deeper dive. But I think the other thing that a lot of companies forget is that the the trust piece, the due diligence piece, doesn't stop when you hire. And Chapter Seven is all about onboarding. And it's not, you know, gee, do something more than put a, a you know company manual on the desk and a you know login on a post it note and say you know welcome to the team you need to do the integration piece, but you also need to understand that honesty and high functioning is a part of the corporate culture. And it's not about, you know, snitch on your neighbor. It's about, we care about keeping this company secure. We have a value system. And so part of trust is creating an environment where we care. Um, and that circles back around to some of the leadership stuff that we talked about before, but it's also about corporate culture. And um, the the CISO from Dominion Energy, a, a guy named Adam Lee, talks a lot about the the corporate culture and the values. And one of the things he said, and I'll I'll get the quote wrong, but he he essentially said, we get candidates who come in, and it, it doesn't matter how good they are, if they don't have the values they're not getting a job here. And, and that's part of trust too. It's part of high functioning. It's part of commitment to the organization. So trust is an interesting thing because sometimes it's very binary and sometimes it's part of your whole career progression. Um, so I would say the, the fundamental answer to your question is that when you get to trust, you start on trust and you never end. You never end. It's part of high performance. Um, it, it, it's part of keeping focused on the outcome. And it's part of recognizing that your team will always change. And you're not going to solve your hiring problem just by hiring a great person. You have to continue to do this. And that's why you need a process. And that's what the CAN Trust will process is about. It's having a process that continues to bring people in as people cycle out. And it goes back to culture, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, definitely does. And I, I also want to bring it to the point you made, uh, Lisa, that I, I really wanted to dig into, but we don't have time. Which is the shared intent, and I think open communications around that highlights where everybody's on the same page or not, right? And um, yeah, with that, I, th- I think we're gonna we're gonna cut it here. Uh, lots of information for people to chew on. I think. Our goal with these is to get people to think, and thinking differently isn't always comfortable. Um, but I can suggest folks get the books, and I trust that they will read and. Ooh, think nicely done! Right? <laughs> it's it's time to what do you say, Scott? To start looking for people not just to fill roles and uh, hopefully hiring for the human element in the the new age of cybersecurity will help uh, organizations take some of those first steps to actually do that so lisa you're amazing thank you for a clear picture of what this is for who it's for and, and why you wrote it and scott it's always a pleasure to have you on and to hear your stories as well
4: Thank you, gentlemen, such a pleasure. And I will say, don't get scared when we see headlines that there's hundreds of people moving between Microsoft and Meta for the creation of the metaverse. These (laughs) things are going to keep happening. So having that process, like you said, is the most important thing. It's not static. Cybersecurity is the most exciting field to be in. We have to understand how to interpret our humanity into the field.
1: Plus those may be avatars, so we don't know. Exactly. But we'll live the metaverse for another. I'm an avatar. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, guys. It's great seeing
2: you again. Yep, great to have you on. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Redefining Security here on ITSP Magazine. Keep thinking. See you on the next one.
0: Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HitrustAliance.net. And society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.